for a couple of listeners. TG, thank you. We get it. And we're working on it. And Jojo and KT, it really doesn't get any better than that. Thank you very much. And everyone else, please know we always welcome your comments, your reviews, your messages anytime. So, All right, James Joyce was very popular last week. And this week, we want you to know we're listening. And yes, we can give you more Shirley Jackson. How about today? Gifted, prolific American writer Shirley Jackson, primarily known for her horror and mystery work. She wrote over 200 short stories. And today's story, does it fall into the horror or mystery category? Well, I say it falls into the you-tell-me genre. And I mean it, you-tell-me. Here's what I can tell you. I know it's a mid-century story about what must have been a typical housewife, but she's in a very atypical situation. Shirley Jackson was a housewife. All the time that I'm making beds and doing dishes and driving to town for dancing shoes, I am telling myself stories. Yeah, Jackson was quoted as saying that. But was she a typical housewife? She also said, I find it very difficult to distinguish between life and fiction. Yeah, that makes us think, well, come on, we know that there's nothing typical about Shirley Jackson. And there is nothing typical about the journey on which we are about to embark. I hope you're settling in because it's time to tuck in everybody for Shirley Jackson's The Tooth. The bus was waiting panting heavily at the curb in front of the small bus station, its great blue and silver bulk glittering in the moonlight. There were only a few people interested in the bus, and at that time of night, no one passing on the sidewalk. The only movie theater in town had finished its show and closed its doors an hour before, and all the movie patrons had been to the drugstore for ice cream and gone on home. Now the drugstore was closed and dark, another silent doorway in the long midnight street. The only town lights were the street lights, the lights in the all-night lunch stand across the street, and the one remaining counter lamp in the bus station where the girl sat in the ticket office with her hat and coat on, 
only waiting for the New York bus to leave before she went home to bed. Standing on the sidewalk next to the open door of the bus, Clara Spencer held her husband's arm nervously. Hi. I feel so funny, she said. Well, are you all right? He asked. Do you think I ought to go with you? Oh, no, of course not, she said. I'll be all right. It was hard for her to talk because of her swollen jaw. She kept a handkerchief pressed to her face and held hard to her husband. Are you sure you'll be all right? she asked. I'll be back tomorrow night at the latest, or else I'll call. Well, everything will be fine, he said heartily. By tomorrow noon, it'll all be gone. Oh, and tell the dentist, if if there's anything wrong, I can come right down. (sighs) I, I feel so funny she said, lightheaded and sort of dizzy. Well, that's because of the dope, he said. All that codeine and the whiskey and nothing to eat all day. She giggled nervously. (laughs) I couldn't comb my hair. My hand shook, so I'm glad it's dark. Well, now you, you try to sleep in the bus, he said. Did you take a sleeping pill? Oh, yes, she said. They were waiting for the bus driver to finish his cup of coffee in the lunch stand. They could see him through the glass window, sitting at the counter, taking his time. I feel so funny, she said. Now, you know, Clara... He made his voice very weighty, as though if he spoke more seriously, his words would carry more conviction and be therefore more comforting. You know, I'm glad you're going down to New York to have Zimmerman take care of this. I'd never forgive myself if it turned out to be something serious and I let you go to this butcher up here. Well, It's just a toothache, Clara said, uneasily. Nothing very serious about a toothache. Mm, You can't tell, he said. It might be abscessed or something. I'm sure he'll have to pull it. Oh, don't even talk like that, she said and shivered. Well, it looks pretty bad, he said soberly as before. Your face, so swollen and all. Uh, But don't you worry. I'm not worrying, she said. I just feel as if I were all tooth, nothing else. The bus driver got up from the stool and walked over to pay his check. Clara moved toward the bus, and her husband said, Now take your time. You've got plenty of time. I just feel funny, Clara said. Listen, her husband said. That tooth's been bothering you off and on for years. At least six or seven times since I've known you. You've 
You've had trouble with that tooth. It's about time something was done. You had a toothache on our honeymoon, he finished, accusingly. Did I? Clara said. You know, she went on and laughed. I was in such a hurry. I didn't dress properly. I have on old stockings, and I just dumped everything into my good pocketbook. Are you sure you have enough money? He said. Almost $25, Clara said. I'll be home tomorrow. Well, you wire if you need more, he said. The bus driver appeared in the doorway of the lunchroom. Don't worry, he said. Oh, listen, Clara said suddenly. Are you sure you'll be all right? Mrs. Lang will be over in the morning in time to make breakfast. And, you know, Johnny doesn't need to go to school if things are too mixed up. I know, he said. Mrs. Lang, she said, checking on her fingers. I called Mrs. Lang. I left the grocery order on the kitchen table. Oh, you can have cold tongue for lunch. And in case I don't get back, Mrs. Lang will give you dinner. The cleaner. The cleaner ought to come over about four o'clock. I won't be back. So give him your brown suit. And it doesn't matter if you forget, but be sure to empty the pockets. Wire if you need more money, he said, or call. I'll stay home tomorrow so you can call at home. Mrs. Lang will take care of the baby, she said, or you can wire, he said. The bus driver came across the street and stood by the entrance to the bus. Okay, the bus driver said. Goodbye, Clara said to her husband. You'll feel all right tomorrow, her husband said. It's only a toothache. I'm fine, Clara said. Don't you worry. She got on the bus and then stopped with the bus driver waiting behind her. Milkman, she said to her husband. Um, leave a note telling him we want... Oh. Eggs. I will, her husband said. Goodbye. Goodbye, Clara said. She moved on into the bus, and behind her, the driver swung into his seat. The bus was nearly empty, and she went far back and sat down at the window. Outside, her husband waited. Goodbye, she said to him through the glass. Take care of yourself. Goodbye, he said, waving violently. The bus stirred, groaned, and pulled itself forward. Clara turned her head to wave goodbye once more and then lay back against the heavy, soft seat. (sighs) Good Lord, she thought. What a thing to do. Outside, the familiar street slipped past, strange and dark 
and seen unexpectedly from the unique station of a person leaving town, going away, on a bus. Well, it isn't as though it's the first time I've ever been to New York, Clara thought indignantly. Ooh, it's the whiskey and the codeine and the sleeping pill and the toothache. She checked hastily to see if her codeine tablets were in her pocketbook. They had been standing, along with the aspirin and a glass of water, on the dining room sideboard, but somewhere in the lunatic flight from her home, she must have picked them up because they were in her pocketbook now, along with the twenty-odd dollars and her compact and comb and lipstick. Oh, she could tell from the feel of the lipstick that she had brought the old, nearly finished one, not the new one. It was a darker shade and it cost two fifty. There was a run in her stocking and a hole in the toe that she never noticed at home wearing her old comfortable shoes, but which was now suddenly and disagreeably apparent inside her best walking shoes. Well, she thought, I can buy new stockings in New York tomorrow, after the tooth is fixed, after everything's all right. She put her tongue cautiously on the tooth and was rewarded with a split-second crash of pain. The bus stopped at a red light, and the driver got out of his seat and came back toward her. Forgot to get your ticket before, he said. Oh, I guess I was a little rushed at the last minute, she said. She found the ticket in her coat pocket and gave it to him. Um, when do we get to New York? she asked. 5.15, he said. Plenty of time for breakfast. One-way ticket? I'm coming back by train, she said, without seeing why she had to tell him, except that it was late at night and people isolated together in some strange prison like a bus had to be more friendly and communicative than at other times. Me? I'm coming back by bus, he said, and they both laughed. She painfully, because of her swollen face. When he went back to his seat, far away, at the front of the bus, she lay back, peacefully, against the seat, Oh, she could feel the sleeping pill pulling at her. The throb of the toothache was distant now and mingled with the movement of the bus, a steady beat, like her heartbeat, which she could hear louder and louder, going on through the night. She put her head back, and her feet up, discreetly covered with her skirt, and fell asleep.
without saying goodbye to the town. She opened her eyes once, and they were moving almost silently through the darkness. Her tooth was pulsing steadily. And she turned her cheek against the cool back of the seat in weary resignation. Hmm. There was a thin line of lights along the ceiling of the bus and no other light. Far ahead of her in the bus, she could see the other people sitting, the driver so far away as to be only a tiny figure at the end of a telescope, was straight at the wheel, seemingly awake. She fell back into her fantastic sleep. She woke up later because the bus had stopped the end of that silent motion through the darkness so positive a shock that it woke her stunned. And it was a minute before the ache began again. People were moving along the aisle of the bus, and the driver, turning around, said, Fifteen minutes. She got up and followed everyone else out, all but her eyes, still asleep, her feet moving without awareness. They were stopped beside an all-night restaurant, lonely and lighted on the vacant road. Inside, it was warm and busy and full of people. She saw a seat at the end of the counter and sat down, not aware that she had fallen asleep again when someone sat down next to her and touched her arm. When... She looked around, foggily. He said, Traveling far. Yes, she said. He was wearing a blue suit, and he looked tall. She could not focus her eyes to see any more. You want coffee? He asked. She nodded and he pointed to the counter in front of her, where a cup of coffee sat, steaming. Drink it, quickly, he said. She sipped at it delicately. She may have put her face down and tasted it without lifting the cup. The strange man was talking even farther than Samarkand, he was saying, and the waves ringing on the shore like bells. Okay, folks, the bus driver said, and she gulped quickly at the coffee, drank enough to get her back into the bus. When she sat down in her seat again, the strange man sat down beside her. It was so dark in the bus that 
The lights from the restaurant were unbearably glaring, and she closed her eyes. When her eyes were shut, before she fell asleep, she was closed in alone with the toothache. The flutes play all night, the strange man said, and the stars are as big as the moon, and the moon is as big as the lake. As the bus started up again, they slipped back into the darkness, and only the thin thread of lights along the ceiling of the bus held them together, brought the back of the bus where she sat, along with the front of the bus where the driver sat and the people sitting there so far away from her. The lights tied them together, and the strange man next to her was saying, Nothing to do all day but lie under the trees. Inside the bus, traveling on, she was nothing. She was passing the trees and the occasional sleeping houses. And she was in the bus, but she was between here and there, joined tenuously to the bus driver by a thread of lights being carried along without effort of her own. My name is Jim, the strange man said. She was so deeply asleep that she stirred uneasily without knowledge, her forehead against the window, the darkness moving along beside her. And then again, that numbing shock and driven awake, she said, frightened, What, what happened? Well, it's all right, the strange man, Jim, said immediately, come along. And she followed him out of the bus into the same restaurant, seemingly. When she started to sit down at the same seat at the end of the counter, he took her hand and led her to a table. Go and wash your face, he said. Come back here afterward. She went into the ladies' room, and there was a girl standing there powdering her nose, Without turning around, the girl said, Cause a nickel. Leave the door fixed so the next one won't have to pay. The door was wedged so it would not close with half a match folder in the lock. 
She left it the same way and went back to the table where Jim was sitting. What do you want? She said. And he pointed to another cup of coffee and a sandwich. Go ahead, he said. While she was eating her sandwich, she heard his voice, musical and soft. And while we were sailing past the island, we heard a voice calling us. Back in the bus, Jim said, Put your head on my shoulder now and go to sleep. Uh, I'm, I'm all right, she said. No, Jim said. Before your head was rattling against the window. Once more, she slept. And once more, the bus stopped. And she woke frightened. And Jim brought her again to a restaurant and more coffee. Her tooth came alive then. And with one hand pressing her cheek, she searched through the pockets of her coat and then through her pocketbook until she found the little bottle of codeine pills, and she took two while Jim watched her. She was finishing her coffee when she heard the sound of the bus motor, and she started up suddenly, hurrying, and Jim, holding her arm, the two of them fled back into the dark shelter of her seat, the bus was moving forward when she realized that she had left her bottle of codeine pills sitting on the table of the restaurant. And now she was at the mercy of her tooth. For a minute, she stared back at the lights of the restaurant through the bus window. And then she put her head on Jim's shoulder. And he was saying, as she fell asleep, The sand is so white, it looks like snow. But it's hot. Even at night, it's hot under your feet. Then they stopped for the last time and Jim brought her out of the bus and they stood for a minute in New York together. A woman passing them in the station said to the man following her with suitcases, Oh, we're just on time. It's 5.15. I'm going to the dentist, she said to Jim. I know, 
he said. I'll watch out for you. He went away, although she did not see him go. She thought to watch for his blue suit going through the door, but there was nothing. Oh, I ought to have thanked him, she thought stupidly, and went slowly into the station restaurant where she ordered coffee again. The counterman looked at her with the worn sympathy of one who has spent a long night watching people get off and on buses. Sleepy? he asked. Yes, she said. She discovered after a while, that the bus station joined Pennsylvania Terminal, and she was able to get into the main waiting room and find a seat on one of the benches by the time she fell asleep again. Then someone shook her rudely by the shoulder and said, Hey, what train you taking, lady? It's nearly seven. She saw it up and saw her pocketbook on her lap, her feet neatly crossed, a clock glaring into her face. She said, Oh, thank you, and got up and walked blindly past the benches and got onto the escalator. Someone got on immediately behind her and touched her arm. She turned and mm, it was Jim. The grass is so green and so soft, he said, smiling. And the water of the river is so cool. She stared at him tiredly. When the escalator reached the top, she stepped off and started to walk to the street she saw ahead. Jim came along beside her, and his voice went on. The sky is bluer than anything you've ever seen, and the songs. She stepped quickly away from him and thought that people were looking at her as they passed. She stood on the corner waiting for the light to change and Jim came swiftly up to her and then away. Look, he said as he passed and he held out a handful of pearls. Across the street, there was a restaurant, just opening. She went in and sat down at a table. And a waitress was standing beside her, frowning. You was asleep, the waitress said, accusingly. I'm very sorry, she said. It was morning. Poached eggs and coffee, please. 
It was a quarter to eight when she left the restaurant, and she thought, if I take a bus and go straight downtown now, um, I can sit in the drugstore across the street from the dentist's office and have more coffee until about 8.30, and then I can go into the dentist's when it opens, and he can take me first. The buses were beginning to fill up. She got into the first bus that came along and could not find a seat. She wanted to go to 23rd Street and got a seat just as they were passing 26th Street. When she woke, she was so far downtown that it took her nearly half an hour to find a bus and get back to 23rd. At the corner of 23rd Street, while she was waiting for the light to change, she was caught up in a crowd of people, and when they crossed the street and separated to go different directions, someone fell into step beside her. For a minute, she walked on without looking up, staring resentfully at the sidewalk, her tooth burning her. And then she looked up. But there was no blue suit among the people pressing by on either side. When she turned into the office building where her dentist was, it was still very early morning. The doorman in the office building was freshly shaven and his hair was combed. He held the door open briskly. As at five o'clock, he would be sluggish, his hair faintly out of place. Well, she went in, through the door, with a feeling of achievement. She had come successfully from one place to another, and this was the end of her journey and her objective. The clean white nurse sat at the desk in the office. Her eyes took in the swollen cheek, the tired shoulders, and she said, You poor thing, you look worn out. I have a toothache, the nurse half smiled, as though she were still waiting for the day when someone would come in and say, My feet hurt. <laughs> She stood up into the professional sunlight. Come right in, she said. We won't make you wait. Or will we? Our story continues right after this. sunlight on the headrest of the dentist's chair, on the round white table, on the drill bending its smooth chromium head. The dentist smiled with the same tolerance as the nurse, 
Perhaps all human ailments were contained in the teeth, and he could fix them if people would only come to him in time. The nurse said smoothly, I'll get her file, doctor. We thought we'd better bring her right in. She felt, while they were taking an x-ray, that there was nothing in her head to stop the malicious eye of the camera. As though the camera would look through her and photograph the nails in the wall next to her or the dentist's cuff buttons, or the small, thin bones of the dentist's instruments. The dentist said, Uh, extraction, regretfully, to the nurse. And the nurse said, Yes, doctor, I'll call them right away. Her tooth, which had brought her here unerringly, seemed now the only part of her to have any identity. It seemed to have its picture taken without her. It was the important creature, which must be recorded and examined and gratified. She was only its unwilling vehicle, and only as such was she of interest to the dentist and the nurse. Only as the bearer of her tooth was she worth their immediate and practiced attention. The dentist handed her a slip of paper with the picture of a full set of teeth drawn on it. Her living tooth was checked with a black mark, and across the top of the paper was written, Lower Molar Extraction. Now, take this slip, the dentist said, and go right up to the address on this card. It's a surgeon dentist. They'll take care of you there. What will they do, she said. Not the question she wanted to ask. Not, what about me? Or, how far down do the roots go? They'll take that tooth out the dentist said, testily, turning away. Should have been done years ago. Uh, I've stayed too long, she thought. He's tired of my tooth. She got up out of the dentist's chair and said, Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye, the dentist said. At the last minute, he smiled at her, showing her his Full white teeth, all in perfect control. Are you all right? Does it bother you too much? The nurse asked. I'm all right. I can give you some codeine tablets, the nurse said. We'd rather you didn't take anything right now, of course, but... I think I could let you have them if the tooth is really bad. No, she said, remembering her little bottle of codeine pills on the table of a restaurant between here and there. No, 
It doesn't bother me too much. Well, the nurse said, good luck. She went down the stairs and out past the doorman. In the 15 minutes she had been upstairs, he had lost a little of his pristine morningness, and his bow was just a fraction smaller than before. Taxi? he asked. And remembering the bus down to 23rd Street, she said, Oh, yes. Just as the doorman came back from the curb, bowing to the taxi, he seemed to believe he had invented. She thought a hand waved to her from the crowd across the street. She read the address on the card the dentist had given her and repeated it carefully to the taxi driver. With the card and the little slip of paper with lower molar written on it and her tooth identified so clearly, she sat without moving her hands still around the papers, her eyes almost closed. She thought she must have been asleep again when the taxi stopped suddenly and the driver, reaching around to open the door, said, Here we are, lady. He looked at her curiously. I'm going to have a tooth pulled, she said. Jesus! the taxi driver said. She paid him, and he said, Good luck, as he slammed the door. This was a strange building. The entrance flanked by medical signs carved in stone. The doorman here was faintly professional, as though he were competent to prescribe if she did not care to go any farther. She went past him, going straight ahead until an elevator opened its door to her. In the elevator, she showed the elevator man the card, and he said, Seventh floor. She had to back up in the elevator for a nurse to wheel in an old lady in a wheelchair. The old lady was calm and restful, Sitting there in the elevator with a rug over her knees, she said, Nice day, to the elevator operator, and he said, It's good to see the sun. And then the old lady lay back in her chair, and the nurse straightened the rug around her knees and said, Now we're not going to worry. And the old lady said, irritably, Who's worrying? They got out at the fourth floor. The elevator went on up, and the operator said, Seven. And the elevator stopped, and the door opened. Straight down the hall and to your left, the operator said. There were closed doors on either side of the hall. Some of them said DDS. Some of them said clinic. Some of them said X-ray. One of them, looking wholesome and friendly and somehow most comprehensible, said, Ladies. Then she turned to the left and found a door with the name on the card.
and she opened it and went in. There was a nurse sitting behind a glass window, almost as in a bank, and potted palms in tubs in the corners of the waiting room, and new magazines and comfortable chairs. The nurse behind the glass window said, Yes, as though you had overdrawn your account with the dentist and were two teeth in arrears. She handed her slip of paper through the glass window and the nurse looked at it and said, Lower molar, yes. They called about you. Will you come right in, please? Through the door to your left. Into the vault? She almost said, and then silently opened the door and went in. Another nurse was waiting, and she smiled and turned, expecting to be followed, with no visible doubt about her right to lead. There was another x-ray, and the nurse told another nurse, Lower molar, and the other nurse said, Come this way, please. There were labyrinths and passages seeming to lead into the heart of the office building, and she was put, finally, in a cubicle where there was a couch with a pillow and a wash basin and a chair. Wait here, the nurse said. Relax if you can. I'll probably go to sleep, she said. Fine, the nurse said. You won't have to wait long. She waited, probably for over an hour, although she spent the time half sleeping, waking only when someone passed the door. Occasionally the nurse looked in and smiled. Once she said, Won't have to wait much longer. And then suddenly the nurse was back, no longer smiling no longer the good hostess, but efficient and hurried. Come along, she said, and moved purposefully out of the little room into the hallway again. Then, quickly, more quickly than she was able to see, she was sitting in the chair, and there was a towel around her head and a towel under her chin, and the nurse was leaning a hand on her shoulder. Will it hurt? she asked. No, the nurse said, smiling. You know it won't hurt, don't you? Yes, she said. The dentist came in and smiled down on her from over her head. Well, he said, Will it hurt? She said. Now, he said cheerfully. We couldn't stay in business if we hurt people. All the time he talked, he was busying himself with metal hidden under a towel and great machinery being wheeled in almost silently behind her. We couldn't stay in business at all, he said. Now, 
All you've got to worry about is telling us all your secrets while you're asleep. You'll want to watch out for that, you know. Lower molar, he said to the nurse. Lower molar, doctor, she said. Then they put the metal-tasting rubber mask over her face, and the dentist said, You know, two or three times, absent-mindedly, while she could still see him over the mask. The nurse said, Relax your hands, dear. And after a long time, she felt her fingers relaxing. First of all, things get so far away, she thought. Remember this. And remember the metallic sound and taste of all of it. Uh, and the outrage. And then the whirling music, the ringing, confusedly loud music that went on and on, around and around, and she was running as fast as she could down a long, horribly clear hallway with doors on both sides, and at the end of the hallway was Jim holding out his hands and laughing and calling something she could never hear because of the loud music. And she was running. And then she said, I'm not afraid. And someone from the door next to her took her arm and pulled her through. And the world widened alarmingly until it would never stop. And then it stopped with the head of the dentist looking down at her and the window dropped into place in front of her and the nurse was holding her arm. Why did you pull me back? She said, and her mouth was full of blood. I wanted to go on. I didn't pull you, the nurse said. But the dentist said, oh, she's not out of it yet. She began to cry without moving and felt the tears rolling down her face and the nurse wiped them off with a towel. There was no blood anywhere around except in her mouth. Everything was as clean as before. The dentist was gone suddenly and the nurse put out her arm and helped her out of the chair. Did I talk? she asked suddenly, anxiously. Did I say anything? Well, you said, I'm not afraid, the nurse said, soothingly, just as you were coming out of it. No, she said, stopping to pull at the arm around her. Did I say anything? Did I say where he is? You didn't say anything, the nurse said. Oh, the doctor was only teasing you. Where's my tooth? She asked suddenly. And the nurse laughed and said, oh, 
All gone. Never bother you again. She was back in the cubicle, and she lay down on the couch and cried. And the nurse brought her whiskey in a paper cup and set it on the edge of the wash basin. God has given me blood to drink, she said to the nurse. And the nurse said, Don't rinse your mouth or it won't clot. After a long time, the nurse came back and said to her from the doorway, smiling, I see you're awake again. Why? she said. You've been asleep, the nurse said. I didn't want to wake you. She sat up. Oh, she was dizzy, and it seemed that she had been in the cubicle all her life. Do you want to come along now? The nurse said, all kindness again. She held out the same arm, strong enough to guide any wavering footstep. This time, they went back through the long corridor to where the nurse sat behind the bank window. All through? This nurse said brightly. Sit down a minute then. She indicated a chair next to the glass window and turned away to write busily. Do not rinse your mouth for two hours, she said without turning around. Take a laxative tonight. Take two aspirin if there is any pain. If there is much pain or excessive bleeding, notify this office at once. All right, she said, and smiled brightly again. There was a new little slip of paper. This one said, extraction, and underneath, do not rinse mouth, take mild laxative, two aspirin for pain, if pain is excessive or any any hemorrhage occurs, notify office. Goodbye, the nurse said pleasantly. Goodbye, she said. With the little slip of paper in her hand, she went out through the glass door and, still almost asleep, turned the corner and started down the hall. When she opened her eyes a little and saw that it was a long hall with doorways on either side, she stopped and then saw the door marked ladies and went in. Inside, there was a vast room with windows and wicker chairs and glaring white tiles and glittering silver faucets. There were four or five women around the wash basins, combing their hair, putting on lipstick. She went directly to the nearest of the three wash basins, 
took a paper towel, dropped her pocketbook and the little slip of paper on the floor next to her and fumbled with the faucets, soaking the towel until it was dripping. And then she slapped it against her face violently. Her eyes cleared and she felt fresher. So she soaked the paper again and rubbed her face with it. She felt out blindly for another paper towel, and the woman next to her handed her one with a laugh. She could hear, although she could not see, for the water in her eyes. She heard one of the women say, Where are you going for lunch? And another one say, Oh, just downstairs probably. An old fool says I got to be back in half an hour. And then she realized that at the wash basin, she was in the way of the women in a hurry. So she dried her face quickly. It was when she stepped a little aside to let someone else get to the basin and stood up and glanced into the mirror that she realized, with a slight stinging shock, that she had no idea which face was hers. She looked into the mirror as though into a group of strangers, all staring at her or around her. No one was familiar in the group. No one smiled at her or looked at her with recognition. Oh, you'd think my own face would know me, she thought, with a queer numbness in her throat. There was a creamy, chinless face with bright blonde hair and a sharp-looking face under a red-veiled hat and a colorless, anxious face with brown hair pulled straight back and a square, rosy face under a square haircut and two or three more faces pushing close to the mirror, moving, regarding themselves. Well, perhaps it's not a mirror, she thought. Maybe it's a window. And I'm looking straight through at women washing on the other side. But there were women combing their hair and consulting the mirror, and the group was on her side. And she thought, I hope I'm not the blonde, and lifted her hand and put it on her cheek. Oh, she was the pale, anxious one with the hair pulled back. And when she realized it, oh, she was indignant and moved hurriedly back through the crowd of women, thinking, it isn't fair. Why don't I have any color in my face. There were some pretty faces there. Why didn't I take one of those? I didn't have time, she told herself sullenly. They didn't give me time to think. I could have had one of the nice faces. Even the blonde would be better. She backed up and sat down in one of the wicker chairs. It's mean, she was thinking. 
She put her hand up and felt her hair. It was loosened after her sleep, but that was definitely the way she wore it, pulled straight back all around and fastened at the back of her neck with a wide, tight barrette. Like a schoolgirl, she thought. Only, remembering the pale face in the mirror, only, I'm older than that. She unfastened the barrette with difficulty and brought it around where she could look at it. Her hair fell softly around her face. It was warm and reached to her shoulders. The barrette was silver. Engraved on it was the name Clara. Clara, she said aloud. Clara? Two of the women leaving the room smiled back at her over their shoulders. Almost all the women were leaving now, correctly combed and lipsticked, hurrying out, talking together. In the space of a second, like birds leaving a tree, they all were gone. And she sat alone in the room. She dropped the barrette into the ash stand next to her chair. The ash stand was deep and metal, and the barrette made a satisfactory clang falling down. Her hair down on her shoulders, she opened her pocketbook and began to take things out, setting them on her lap as she did so. Handkerchief, plain, white, uninitialed, compact, square, and brown tortoiseshell plastic with a powder compartment and a rouge compartment. The rouge compartment had obviously never been used, although the powder cake was half gone. Well, that's why I'm so pale, she thought, and set the compact down. Lipstick, a rose shade, almost finished. A comb, an opened package of cigarettes and a package of matches, a change purse, and a wallet. The change purse was red imitation leather with a zipper across the top. She opened it and dumped the money out into her hand, nickels, dimes, pennies, a quarter, Ninety-seven cents. Can't go far on that, she thought, and opened the brown leather wallet. There was money in it, but she looked first for papers and found nothing. The only thing in the wallet was money. She counted it. There were nineteen dollars. I can go a little farther on that, she thought. There was nothing else in the pocketbook. No keys. Shouldn't I have keys? She wondered. No papers. No address book. No identification. The pocketbook itself was imitation leather, light gray. And she looked down and discovered that she was wearing a dark gray flannel suit and a salmon pink blouse with a ruffle around the neck. Her shoes were black and stout, with moderate heels, and they had laces. 
one of which was untied. She was wearing beige stockings, and there was a ragged tear in the right knee and a great ragged run going down her leg and ending in a hole in the toe which she could feel inside her shoe. She was wearing a pin on the lapel of her suit, which, when she turned it around to look at it, it was a blue plastic letter C. She took the pin off and dropped it into the ash stand, and it made a sort of clatter at the bottom with a metallic clang when it landed on the barrette. Her hands were small, with stubby fingers and no nail polish. She wore a thin gold wedding ring on her left hand and no other jewelry. Sitting alone in the ladies' room, in the wicker chair, she thought, well, the least I can do is get rid of these stockings. And since no one was around, she took off her shoes and stripped away the stockings a feeling of relief when her toe was released from that hole. Hide them, she thought. The paper towel wastebasket. When she stood up, she got a better sight of herself in the mirror. It was worse than she thought. The gray suit bagged in the seat. Her legs were bony and her shoulders sagged. I look 50, she thought, and then consulting the face. But, well, I can't be more than 30. Her hair hung down untidily around the pale face. And with sudden anger, she fumbled in the pocketbook and found the lipstick. She drew an emphatic rosy mouth on the pale face realizing as she did so that she was not very expert at it. And with the red mouth, the face looked at her and seemed somehow better to her. So she opened the compact and put on pink cheeks with the rouge. The cheeks were uneven and patent, and the red mouth glaring. At least the face was no longer pale and anxious. She put the stockings into the wastebasket and went bare-legged out into the hall again and purposefully to the elevator. The elevator operator said, Down, when he saw her, and she stepped in and the elevator carried her silently downstairs. She went past the grave professional doorman, and out into the street where people were passing. And she stood in front of the building and waited. After a few minutes, Jim came out of a crowd of people passing and came over to her and took her hand. Somewhere, between here and there, was her bottle of codeine pills. Upstairs, 
on the floor of the ladies' room. She had left a little slip of paper headed Extraction. Seven floors below, oblivious of the people who stepped sharply along the sidewalk, not noticing their occasional curious glances, her hand in Jim's and her hair down on her shoulders. She ran barefoot through hot sand. Good night.